You're at the Over or Under Show. I'm your host, Ed Henderson. And man, it's a crazy world we live in. It has no shortages of rabbit holes. I'm not scared of rabbit holes. If you're not scared of rabbit holes, this show is for you. Let's see if we can jump in one and make our way back to the top. Welcome to Over and Under. I'm your host, Ed Henderson, and thank you for once again streaming the podcast. I'm coming, I think this is going to be number 20, so in about two months. It's been about two months since I started. Got listeners all over the world and always looking to expand. So if you like what you hear today, hit the uh, subscribe button and tell a friend, share it with you, forward it to somebody. But I want you to know, no matter how many listeners I have, I'm very grateful for the time that we spend together. I appreciate your comments and uh, some calls that I've been receiving. sat down with my son here just recently, and he said, Pop, I'm driving to uh, Greensboro, and I really uh, liked your podcast. He said, but you use the slippery slope argument too much. He's absolutely right. I do. If I have one fallacy, I do appeal to the slippery slope argument but I have to be honest with you also I always be very honest with you I do believe in the slippery slope when I see people especially stepping out on the slopes of absurdity I will always imagine where is it going next because it is a very slippery slope but I do appreciate the comments from my son he's a very intelligent person and uh, I take everything he says very seriously. Matter of fact, I went and reviewed all the fallacies of argument, but he, he is correct. I do make the argument of the slippery slope and will probably continue to do so. You know, when did the criminal system become advocates for the criminals and the victims and their families not given any consideration? You know, it's become very progressive and very woke to demonize, defund, and delegitimize the police and even elevate the criminal. You know, the police that were called out to respond when your loved one was being assaulted, or maybe you just saw a bystander being assaulted, but you called them out there, and now they're in the middle of a violent situation. Perpetrator takes them to the ground, and then we expect, I don't know, the police officer to make it a fair fight. I don't know, he takes his gun off, but whatever, he's in danger now. You were in danger, you called him, and for some reason it seems like we are... I don't know, cheering? Cheering for the criminal to win? That's not the way that I feel for my police officer. I I want my police officer to win. I want him to go home safely to his family. I don't want anybody needlessly killed, mind you. But at the same time, at least in general, unless something is shown different where the police officer was criminally at fault, when him and a criminal or somebody in the commission of a crime go to the ground, I'm pulling for the police officer to prevail. Because ultimately, it's not just him prevailing, it's it's society, it's civil, civilized society that is prevailing. But why is the shoplifter valued more than the store clerk or the company that owns the store? How is it people can just live and sleep on sidewalks, shoot drugs as, as children play on school grounds or parks just feet away? Why is it okay when the criminal takes a police officer to the ground and hurts or kills the officer? I don't understand this. I mean, this is a very strange society to me. It's it's foreign to me. But this is where we are. You know, you've got progressive DAs that are being instilled or and duly elected, mind you. They are backed by strong progressives such as George Soros. Yes, when you're looking at the six o'clock news and it looks like a third world country, 
there is a very, very high likelihood that that is a George Soros-backed DA. Many of these cities are headed by progressive DAs. Not sure what Soros' ultimate agenda is, but it looks like he is determined to destroy America from within. He's going about it in many ways, but the one that we're focused on today is his efforts to make sure that there is a progressive woke DA that's in charge of prosecution of crimes. Yes, it's a it appears to be some type of agenda to keep the criminal on the ground and in the streets and within these communities so they can do what they do best and that is to wreak havoc. I don't think that Soros is concerned about enriching them as he likes the outcome of all the chaos that they cause. Soros has put big money from people such as Jesse Smollett fame, Kim Fox of Cook County. You've got Larry Krasner of Philadelphia, Chess Bowden of San Francisco, Alvin Braggs of Manhattan. And the one that we're going to be focusing on is uh, the godfather of progressive DAs. That's right. He actually brags about being known as being the godfather of progressive DAs. And that's none other than L.A. County's George Gascon. You know, they feel like Putting a dangerous criminal back among the law-abiding people is some great achievement of mankind. There's no concern for the victims and their families. You know, before we get into George Gascon, let me let me talk about Kim Fox and Jesse Smollett. You, you must know how much humor I find in this story. But at the same time, it, I have to be honest with you, it scares the hell out of me that you could have such high-powered brokers in our judicial system doing some insanely crazy things. I don't think people fully appreciate just how dangerous Jesse Smollett is. And what I mean by that is that story had all the possibilities of creating incredible havoc in Chicago with those claims that Donald Trump supporters jumped on a gay black man and beat him mercilessly, did so only because he was black. But you know, more than Jesse, how about Kim Fox, the way that she handled all that? Jesse Smollett should have been not only convicted as he was, and somehow or another reason still is not serving his very, very light sentence, but he could have done up to 20 years for that crap that he pulled. You know, there were actually people, regardless of how crazy that story was and how unbelievable it was, and it deserved to be investigated. Stranger things have happened. But right from the outside, it was just about unbelievable. And then, you know, you had Soros money pulling in. You had bank loads of money, known as BLM, coming in, trying to start a race riot, trying to, I guess, do what they normally do in their protocols, try to get businesses burned down. And a lot of those people that are hurt and sometimes murdered and too often actually own the businesses of the community are minorities. They are the ones that are hurt by it. They're also the ones that are getting fed up with this progressive, woke, new judicial prosecution. If, if, to call it a prosecution is a joke itself. But Jesse could have caused severe damage to the people of Chicago and those communities. You know, if I cannot appeal to people of the left to stop this insanity because of the minorities that are impacted, hurt, murdered, their businesses burned to the ground, let me try a different tack that might appeal to you because I know how much that you value the ecosystem, the world, climate change. Those, those are your babies. When you destroy the infrastructure of these communities, they're going to have to go to other places to get their daily provisions. They're going to have to 
travel to other communities to get their cars fixed, to get their computers fixed, to drop their laptops off. Where would Hunter Biden go if he destroyed his communities and he couldn't drop his laptop off when it needed to get repaired? But my point is they're going to more than most likely be burning hydrocarbons. So maybe your interest in bringing some sanity back into this world would be saving the world. So if I can't appeal to you about the occupants and the residents of the world, just think about all the hydrocarbons. And just think when they have to build these communities, they're going to be using machinery that are going to be burning hydrocarbons. The, all the plastics and all those things that were made and sitting on the shelves, they're going to have to be remade. Those shelves are going to have to be restocked. Let me appeal to your care for the world to possibly alter your trajectory on this woke progressive movement. So let me get back to George Gascon. Now I got before me a thing I got off the internet. It's called Recall District Attorney George Gascon. I don't see an author listed so I can give credit to, but I'm going to read to you some of the directives that came from George Gascon on his very first day. He eliminated cash bail directive 20-06 pretrial release. Prosecutors are prohibited from requesting bail in most cases, including child abuse and domestic violence, regardless of criminal history. Now, being able to provide bail did not necessarily make the people safe. I'll be honest with you that. But if somebody had something to lose, if they had to pony something up, it did serve as some type of deterrent to keep these people safe and away from these people that they were harassing and sometimes physically hurting. He does away with this. 13 crimes you can commit in Los Angeles, Directive 2007. So nobody changed the law. He just says we're not going to prosecute it. So yeah, he changed the law. The cops are not going to arrest you for it. You can't get arrested for trespassing. You can't, you can't be harassed for disturbing the peace, driving without a license, driving on a suspended license, criminal threats, drug and paraphernalia possession, minor in possession of alcohol, drinking in public, under the influence of a controlled substance, public intoxication, loitering, directive 20-08, sentencing enhancements allegations when you are prosecuted in LA, the DA's office now treats repeat violent offenders as first-time offenders, including murder, rape, robbery, kidnapping, and sex offenses. That's right. You cannot take into consideration all the other people they murdered, all the other people they raped, all the other people they robbed, all the other people they kidnapped, all the sex offenses that would be relative in trying to figure out what is the appropriate sentence done away with. George Gascon prohibits his prosecutors from filing sentencing enhancements such as great bodily injury gang. No sentence of life without possibility of parole. So no matter how heinous the crime is, no matter the number of people killed, these are not to be given considerations. No matter the age or crime never tried in his adult, Directive 2009, Youth Justice, no youth can be tried as an adult ever regardless of the heinous nature of the crime. The DA's office now treats teenage repeat offense offenders as first-time offenders even in the case of murder, rape, robbery, kidnapping, or sex offense. So if you are in a gang in LA and you need somebody killed or if you need a lot of people killed, your best deal is probably to get one of your members 
that is just under 18 years old pick one that's within a couple of months and the worst thing that's probably going to happen to him is that he is going to stay in the juvenile system he'll do his entire time in the juvenile system he'll be released when he is 25 years of age and he'll be treated as a first-time offender no matter how many crimes or murders rapes robbery kidnapping or sex offenses that's you heard this right there is no death penalty ever directive 20-11 this prohibits prosecutors from seeking the death penalty in any case ever it does not matter the circumstances there are many minority families that are grieving the loss of their family members and they're at the forefront and the vanguard of calling for this progressive woke DA to be removed from office if you want to watch something very interesting I would highly recommend that you go to Fox Nation or go to a friend's house if you just think Fox is the evil news network but I would point out to you they're not the ones being sued on a daily basis for libel um, very interesting thing done by Tucker Carlson is called the suicide of LA I believe that's the name of it and listen to those personal testimonies of people mostly minorities black that tell of a loved one and this district attorney will not even meet with them he's a coward he will not meet with these families as they are asking why are you putting this murderer back on the streets we have lost a loved one we will never have him back again what do you mean he's only got to do six years what do you mean you're not taking into account that he had an illegal gun for those that would want to push heavy gun legislation they won't even push the ones that are on the books but why will you not consider that he was in a gang that he had a gun that he's killed several people that he is very likely to kill again he may come and try to kill us why why George why will you not even meet with us to discuss the the answer to that is George is getting exactly what he wants and he's really too much of a coward to sit down with you ma'am to have this discussion about your son ma'am he is too much of a coward to meet with you about the loss of your brother I do sympathize with you and I do wish every one of you success in having this George Soros woke prosecutor removed from office praying for you let's go back to that list of 13 crimes the 13 crimes that LA is promoting that you be able to commit I'm gonna pick out two of them that you might think those are pretty innocuous they're not going to hurt anybody let's driving without a license and driving on a suspended license that might seem to be relatively minor but it could come to affect you in a way I don't know your car gets destroyed and the person was not supposed to be maybe he's involved in an accident that kills you or your loved one and he was never supposed to be on this road anyway in that case it's a hassle it could be a lifelong hurt that you're gonna have laid on your heart if these people are allowed to do this but you know a lot of people would say well that's not a big thing to be driving without a license or driving on a suspended license you know little traffic violations that's really no big deal we should not be uh, harassing people or getting involved in such things like that you know and that seems to be some of the most minor things that this crazy DA is just saying hey we're just not going to uh, trouble ourselves with but let me share this story with you some of you may not remember this I don't know how you would ever forget but we can't even keep up with the latest 
COVID protocols that were told us to us two weeks and the same people that told us one thing are doing something other and expecting something other different today. So we are a society of relatively short memory. So you may not know about this, but on the morning of April 19th, 1995, an ex-Army soldier and security guard named Timothy McVeigh parked a rented rider truck in front of the Alfred P. Murrow Federal Building in downtown Oklahoma City. As I read it from this news article, I'd have to refresh my memory. I do remember the name Timothy McVeigh. I promise you I was involved in a type of work that even heightened my knowledge of this case. And if it wasn't just the fact that I'm an American and... Uh, just felt the despair that day. What a what a horrible thing that happened. But what you may not know, the way that he was caught was by a state trooper by the name of Charlie Hanger. Hanger now serves as a noble county sheriff and is proof that one cop can have an incredible impact with a single traffic stop as this article reads. Charlie was on patrol working that day shift when the Oklahoma City bomb exploded. He was initially dispatched from his area to assist, but almost instantly was called off and told to remain in his own area. A short time later, Charlie passed a yellow Mercury missing a registration tag. Yeah, George Gascon would probably discipline Charlie for even approaching this car. It'd be a violation of somebody's civil rights in some weird woke way. Anyhow, Charlie slowed to let the driver of the Mercury get ahead of him. As he did, Charlie hit his overhead lights to begin the vehicle stop. As the driver pulled his vehicle over, Charlie got a strange feeling about the occupant. Even though the stop was for a minor violation, a minor violation, people remember that, Charlie sensed something more serious was going on besides missing. Charlie paid attention to his inner voice and orchestrated a non-approach vehicle contact. Instead of just walking up on the Mercury, he called for the driver to step out of the vehicle. Hanger watched the suspect exit the car. He had the man walk to the area between the squad and the Mercury. When Charlie asked for the suspect's driver's license, the suspect reached for it. The movement alerted Hanger to the outline of a weapon impressed under the suspect's jacket. So Charlie sees the weapon or the outline of it. He draws his own and he said, it's loaded. The suspect replied, so is mine. Charlie handcuffed McVeigh and discovered he had a 45 caliber Glock loaded with a devastating black talon round. McVeigh carried his Glock in quick draw suicide holster. Charlie's search also revealed McVeigh had a spare magazine and a knife hidden on his person. And again, I just want to keep reminding you that this suspect is white. So uh, anybody that thinks civil, civil rights are being violated here, you can calm down. This was a white person. Charlie took McVeigh to jail and booked him on carrying a concealed weapon. It was there that McVeigh gave his address in Michigan. The address he gave was that of his brother and his accomplice, Terry Nichols. It's a very, very good thing that Timothy McVeigh did everything that I always encourage my listeners to do. He did everything that the, the, the officer instructed him to do. Yeah, if McVeigh had made one sudden move or anything that had made that officer nervous or concerned for his own life, and he had reason to, this man just killed many people i can't remember it may, it may have been well over a hundred i do not remember that i just i just know he blew the entire face of a high-rise business in half and off of that building it's a good thing that mr mcveigh listened to everything that uh that officer told him because he would have been a dead man that day as opposed to a dead man a few years later after a thorough investigation and he was convicted 
before again i know he's put to death but to put everybody at ease i want everybody to know that this thug this criminal this sorry excuse for a human being was put to death so this this fbi investigation was uh, saved a lot of money and time because this uh, arrest made by charlie which he so humbly refers to as just being at the right place in the right time if he had not stopped that car for a minor violation we would not have caught this historically evil person by the name of timothy mcveigh that day and so how does that tie back into gascon i'm afraid charlie would be disciplined for pulling that car over in the first place and he probably if he were to be working under gascon would not have pulled the car over in the first place because it would have never been prosecuted there's no consequence matter of fact i guess in la you can just keep on driving because uh, if anything results in a bad way of your not following state law, then uh, maybe maybe the officer will be held accountable because George has already said, we're not prosecuting these crimes. Why was he even pursuing you in the first place? But so often, minor law violations really lead to the prevention of people committing even further and worse, worse crimes. Usually uh, people who commit major crimes, they are really not very observant of even minor crimes. And I'm going to close out reading a commentary that I found online. It's called Crime and Justice. It says, meet George Gascon, the rogue prosecutor whose policies are wreaking havoc in Los Angeles. Uh, It was written by a man by the name of Charles Stimson. Mr. Stimson, thank you for taking the time to put this out and making us aware. But this this is what Mr. Stimson says. His reforms, referring to Gascon, his reforms wholesale eviscerate the entire architecture of the prosecutor's office and radically distort what the prosecutor's role is supposed to be. Gascon is a rogue among rogues, and unfortunately for crime victims and citizens of Los Angeles, he is making their communities less safe. George Gascon's policies are outrageous, dangerous, and pro-criminal. A movement to recall him has already begun. This commentary is part of a series on the rogue prosecutors around the country who have been backed by liberal billionaires such as George Soros, Kari Tuna, who I do not know who that is, and the threat of those prosecutors pose crime victims and others alike. Previous entries in the series focused on prosecutor in Baltimore, Philadelphia, Chicago, Boston, Fairfax County, Virginia, and potential U.S. attorneys in the Biden administration. If you have followed our rogue prosecutor series, no doubt you were disturbed by Boston's Rachel Rollins and her list of 15 crimes you can now commit. Evidently, L.A. is not the only one that's making crime legal. Or Marilyn Mosby, nauseated by weekly death tolls caused by the apathy of Chicago's Kim Fox and disconcerted by the predictable anti-crime policies of Fairfax's Steve Descano. The goal of each of these Soros-backed rogue prosecutors, as we wrote in our research paper on the topic, is to fundamentally reverse engineer the role of the prosecutor and to fundamentally transform our criminal justice system. You have no idea, people, what reimagining our justice system actually entails. I'm going to drop down a little bit because it is a long uh, commentary. What separates Gascon from all the rest of the elected rogue prosecutors is the breadth, scope, and immediate impact of his pro-defendant anti-victim policies, which are contained within nine sweeping special directives. And I'm going to go on to 2006, which I mentioned earlier. Pre-trial release. 
This is a top priority by this prosecutor. Cash bail, according to directives, creates a two-tied system of justice leads to unnecessary incarceration, according to Gascon. Prosecutors are prohibited, regardless of criminal's long record, from requesting cash bail for any misdemeanor non-serious felony. And to make it even crazier, it was retroactive. Anybody that was being held in the L.A. County Jail and required bail, they were just let out. Special Directive 2007, Misdemeanor Case Management. A more accurate title would be 13 Crimes You Can Commit in Los Angeles, Thanks to George Gascon. Dressed up in the opaque language endemic to the rogue prosecutor movement, this directive implores the reader to reimagine public safety. We covered, we covered those 13 crimes you can now commit in L.A., so I won't go over that, but I'll go over this uh, sentencing enhancement allegation uh, that is covered in this comp commentary. Special Directive 2008 is called Sentencing Enhancements. A more accurate title would be, Don't Worry Violent Felons and Gang Members, You Won't Go to Prison. This is the most controversial aspect of Gascon's radical directives, the elimination of most sentencing enhancements, special circumstances, life without parole, eligible sentences, and death penalty. Over the years, California legislature has passed dozens of sentencing enhancement crimes as how laws protecting special classes of individuals such as children, women, and elderly, and others. In 1994, the legislature passed the Three Strikes Law, which gave prosecutors the ability to seek life sentences for anyone who committed a qualifying offense and had two qualifying prior convictions. The legislature also passed laws detailing the gruesome special circumstances of the most violent cases that would make criminal eligibility for life without parole or the death penalty. Gascon just... Well, he can't change the law, but he just says, well, we're not going to prosecute it. Therefore, he did change the law. Gascon's directives prohibits prosecutors from filing sentence enhancement, sentence allegations, or three strikes in all cases and forces them to withdraw the same from all pending cases. He's actually instructing his prosecutors to ignore the law, and I would say break the law. This is going to allow many of those three-strike felons that were meant to stay off of the streets. It's going to help them get back on the streets. It has affected hundreds of cases, including a case where a father decapitated his two young children and a case where another criminal attempted to assassinate two Los Angeles County Sheriff's deputies by shooting them in the face as they sat in their patrol car. In both of those cases, if convicted, the defendants can walk out of prison after only 20 years. Given the fact that there are only more than 100 sentencing enhancement allegations in special circumstances law in California, the vast majority of eligible criminals will no longer be held to account under the full force of the law as passed by the California legislature and the citizens of Los Angeles will suffer as a result. Youth Justice Directive Special Directive 2009 is entitled Youth Justice. A more accurate title would be Violent Teens Don't Go to Jail Ever or the Gang Improvement and Recruiting Act as a police Policy creates incentives for gangs to enlist even more youth under 18. Now, the commentary says that a 6'3", 210-pound gang member who's 17 years old who murders someone and later gets caught is given an adjudication in juvenile court and can be set free after serving only a few years in prison. This creates a perverse incentive for gangs to set up their ongoing recruiting efforts to youth to carry out murders and other crimes. What other outcome could there possibly be? Habeas corpus litigation, Special Directive 2010, is called Habeas Corpus Litigation Unit. It should be called Unwind All Prior Convictions by Our Office Unit. 
the habeas corpus litigation mission is to ensure that justice is done in every case filed in the unit. The unit is charged to look for the cases of injustice, including racial injustice, regardless if there were any constitutional violations. According to the director, the habeas corpus list shall not, as a policy, defend every conviction or raise every considerable, conceivable procedural challenge with equal favor. Man, this is long. I'm sorry. I'm we're coming up. We're over 30 minutes. I'm gonna jump down to Directive 2012 entitled Victim Service. It should be called We Don't Care About Victims. Not surprisingly, this directive is the shortest in length, coming in at less than two pages. The only new policy with respect to victims is that it directs the victim service section of the office to contact families of individuals killed by police and provide support services including funeral, burial, mental health service immediately following the death regardless of the state of the investigation of charging. In other words, if a police officer is attacked by an armed violent felon, who shoots at the police officer and the police officer fires back and kills the assailant, the district attorney's office will now be required to help the deceased families pay for the funeral. And here's the kicker. This is required regardless of the state of investigation. So if the felon was completely at fault, would have been charged with a crime, the taxpayer is on the dime or responsible for, for the funeral, for all the expenses that are incurred afterwards. Yeah, there's some very serious crimes that are not being prosecuted in L.A., and the the real victims in this story are getting no coverage whatsoever. And I'm gonna I'm gonna stop it there just because this has gone so long. I hope I piqued your interest, and I'm gonna do another part to this. It might be three parts. I wasn't considering on doing so much part, but this is a lot more in depth than what I fully appreciate it, but. Even when you take into account what some people at first glance would say are not big offenses, and I think I made a point when I shared the Timothy McVeigh in the Oklahoma bombing story with you, just how some of these what appears to be small infractions really can be very big things. Now, you know, it's like I read in another article, Disturbing the Peace Won't Be Prosecuted. So don't bother calling police if your neighbor decides to have a party that starts at midnight and goes until dawn with music blasting away the whole time. And if a few hookers drop by to see what's going on, no worries. Remember, the district attorney has decided to look the other way when it comes to loitering, com- commit pro- public intoxication. What's so horrible about walking down the street with your kids while drunk is yelling at you? You can be assured that none of what I described here is going to happen in Beverly Hills or any other part. That's that's true that the author of this article is writing at. It's not going to go off in the parts of the town where people like George Soros lives, where Gascon lives, where Kim Fox lives. They're not going to have any of this nonsense around them. They're going to have security. They're going to have their walls. Their gates are going to be locked. And they're not going to allow it in their streets. So keep that in mind, too, that these woke progressive DAs, they don't live in the communities that they are affecting. Sometimes they don't even live in the counties that they they represent. So keep that in mind. And we'll go into this more on my next podcast. I'm sorry I kept you so long. I'll see what I can do to edit down to make it a little less long. But, yeah, we'll come back to this uh, story of Gascon and what's going on in L.A. And uh, I would tell you to watch Tucker Carlson's story 
about the suicide of L.A., very eye-opening. And I'm sure you've already saw much of it on the 6 o'clock news, just how it, it really has turned into a third world country. So that's enough time for today. I thank you for listening. Uh, if you heard anything that you like today, hit the like button. Tell your friends. I do so appreciate you uh, listening. And as I always do, I will bid you a fond adieu. Pray for blessings upon your house that God will protect you. And remember, regardless of how many progressive or woke people that are put above you, We have a good God that's above all of them. So all hope is never lost, and there's always a way. Uh, Pray for those people who are trying to bring some sanity back in their neighborhoods. They would have you believe that it is some type of white supremacist. But I ask you this, if white supremacists were in charge, what would it look like? Would it look like these uh, communities are burning to the ground? Would it look like you would have abnormal number of minorities killed on a daily basis. This would be the work of a white supremacist. And most of these people I'm talking about are white. I just think people are confused about the people's motives and their agendas and how they're actually going about bringing destruction to minorities and ultimately to all of us. That's why all of us, regardless if you're in the majority of white people in this community, you better wake up and take notice because this is affecting you and your families and will. I care for everybody. I have friends of all races, backgrounds, political affiliations, and I just want the safety and freedoms for all of them equally. I'm going to leave it right there. My gosh, going to be the longest one of them all. Goodbye, people, and you have a great day. Please take care of you and yours. Bye.